Hello and welcome to the first episode of Queer Not Here, a series of stories by LGBTQ Malaysians who have migrated away from Malaysia. This first episode, I speak to Alana, a trans woman who is seeking asylum in London. Content warning for transphobia and suicide. Thank you for listening. Okay, so um, do you want to be anonymous or are you okay using your name? I think I'm fine using my name. Okay. I mean, it depends yeah. on the content. <laughs> okay. You can change your mind yeah. later if you want. Um, yes. How about your location? Yeah, London for now. Okay, cool. And how do you identify? Trans women, she, her. Cool. All right. Um, so when did you leave Malaysia? Let's start there. Um. I leave. I left in October two thousand seventeen, and it was quite kind of a uh, rapid because I only had one month or one over one month to prepare. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's been almost four years. And, yeah. Uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so fast, can. Um, what led up to that decision? What made you want to move? Yeah, there are a couple of a uh, couple of factors. Um, oh, the main one being when I was involved with Pelangi campaign when we had organized events, and it was like also it gets to the moment of heat during the Ramadan month, and. And we got a lot of trouble from it. Was this the big gay iftar? Yes, that was it. Side note: The big gay iftar was an event in 2017 organized by one of the local LGBTQ groups as a breaking fast get together for queers during the month of Ramadan. A tweet about the event subsequently went viral and brought a huge amount of backlash towards the community. And those were kind of like started the attack on us, so we're not we we weren't feeling safe at the time. So some of us just go underground, some of us left. So it's because of the activism in Malaysia for LGBT people, and that was one of the biggest factor. But the other factor is obviously being trans because although it is kind of safe if you are in a supportive community but if you're like alone and you're just figuring things out and it could put you in a dangerous situation so i think that is the case for me and seeing all the news about hate crimes all this bullying until to the point where they're dead like one case then Tina Vin in Penang which is quite close to my house so i Cannot think that it could happen to me. Side note: Navin's was an incredibly tragic case that occurred in 2017 in Penang. Just 18 years old, Navin was brutally murdered by four classmates, supposedly because he was too effeminate and therefore perceived as gay. The murder trial is still ongoing today. So that scares the shit out of me. And also with the trans stuff like cross-dressing laws and whatever, that doesn't sit right with me. I'm the kind of person who, if the clouds or roof that I'm living under doesn't protect me, metaphorically, I 
I need to get out of there. There, so mm. yeah, it's quite also like psychological as well. So I had to leave. Was that this. kind of like always a plan in your head to leave? Not at all. Yeah, if you ask me, when I was a kid, I wouldn't have say that I would be living in London. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I say. It's kind of like a rapid decision. Like mm. um, after the controversy with the big gay iftar, our our president Numan, I know you know him, and mm. uh, he left for to a couple of countries and when he's there we kept in contact and he told me about the possibilities of seeking asylum somewhere else mm -hmm. and then I started talking to him at length and he explained to me and it started to make sense to me and I just started to plan and figure out how I'm gonna go and that just happened within one month one month of planning and then boom I just went uh, how was your relationship with like family and things at the time uh kind of non-existent pretty much like I've been independent since I was 13 where I felt like rejected and unloved and not taken care of anymore and huge part of that was because I started to express myself more femininely, more expressively towards my true self, so to say. And that's when uh, we sort of became estranged. So when I left, and I had the privilege of leaving because a lot of people doesn't have that because they have like commitments and responsibilities to their family. As for me, I don't because I have two brothers, I have two sisters that can take care of my mom. But not that I will make that stop. I, not that I will stop my move for that because I actually doesn't have any relationship with them since I was 13. So it's kind of like an easy decision for me. Yeah, I was quite lucky in that sense because I know a lot of people who, who are trying to get out but couldn't because family stuff. And people who just go back to Malaysia and sacrificing their life in other countries, their good life in other countries for family's sake. How did it feel when you left, knowing that you were going to do this whole asylum process thing? Oh uh, boy, I felt quite nervous, very nervous. But when you're nervous, it's good because you prepare a lot. Going into it, I was confident when you, you, when you prepare, everything kind of goes smoothly and easily. But, um, well, and I'm also used to the UK, like I had the, I studied here two years before I left to come back. So I'm kind of okay. Yeah, I just felt nervous and I got a good grasp of the asylum system. And especially after talking to Numan. Did you already know people in the UK? Yes. I have my ex-boyfriends here that we were still together when I get got there. A couple of university friends in Canterbury and in London. Yeah, so I know I would have support when I go there if anything uh, fell out, which I which it did with my ex-boyfriend. Uh, then he kicked me out, so I was like homeless for two months. But yeah. Did you consider any other places? And now I have, now I do. Like I was actually trying to get out of the UK using my refugee status kind of like a third country relocation 
Mm. And I contacted the UNCHR in Washington and I told them the UK UNCHR doesn't provide advice to a refugee from the UK trying to leave the UK. <laughs> right. So the Washington people was like, okay, let me get back to London and see what what's happening. And then, they, and then the London people called me and they explained why they can't do that. Kind of makes sense, but yeah. I tried to get out, so because the political situation here was is shit. Like I said, I cannot live under a roof that doesn't protect me. <laughs> here, right now, it's starting to feel like that in the past couple of years, and a lot. It's like shared by the sentiments is shared by a lot of people around here, especially people in the community or even European like with Brexit. So yeah, love hate. <laughs> So you plan to move away from the UK then? Uh, there doesn't seem to be an option, but I have like a personal plans. Like I have a boyfriend currently and he's moving to Australia and I might go with him and stay there for a couple of years and came back here for just my, to get my visa sorted after two years because my refugee status finished after two years. So that's kind of in the works, but not a done deal yet. How has been the whole asylum process for you? Honestly, it was quite easy because I'm prepared. I can speak good English and mm. I have a good lawyer. But yeah, and actually it was made easier by Michael Rambo, the organization that provides shelter for asylum seekers and refugees, especially LGBT ones, actually mm-hmm. exclusively LGBT ones. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of provide me a safe space and they're quite new and I came at the right time because mm. there are still some rooms left because it's safer to be in within LGBT household rather than mix with other asylum people that is from different country with different beliefs yeah. and but uh, all in all the asylum system is quite controversial as well like Previously, they are quite discriminatory. They make stereotypes and assumptions of people from the LGBT community, even like for anyone, because mm-hmm. their approach is to be skeptical from the get-go. Yeah, and I had to stack up with that. And also like the allowance is like £36 a week. A lot of people complain about that. Yeah, that's a problem for me because I am transitioning and I don't have access to uh medication so i have to do like other hustling jobs under the table to get some cash to find my transitioning costs yeah for me it's not so much about the asylum system that's difficult it's just sustaining my needs throughout the process that's the more challenging part for me how long has the process been for me it was seven months uh, and i know some other People could last two years or five years in a limbo state, uh, which is unfortunate. And as I say, I'm quite privileged and lucky to have access to good lawyers. So yeah, seven months and I stay in the shelter for around five months. Okay. Actually, no, seven months. The asylum process yeah, I got granted in May and I started in November. So the process is seven months. So that's why I say like I have two more years to finish my refugee status 
Right. And then I will get some kind of indefinite leave to remain. Then I will go back to Malaysia for the nasi lemak. <laughs> Do you miss the Malaysia? Nasi kanda. <laughs> I miss the food more. I don't miss the climate. I miss the food. Not so much of the people, but some good people, yes. Not the netizens. <laughs> yeah. Did you uh do you have a lot of Malaysian friends there? Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, there's a whole community here from Malaysia that was like that is they are like quite open-minded and just and they're like queers, they're very open mm. and and it opens up a whole new world for me and having that community is important because like you have this identity as a refugee and you're thrown into this country and for me it's hard to find my roots here so mm. when you have like Malaysians people here that is on your kind of same vibe mm. then you feel like you have roots you have a home here so so do you feel safer as a trans person over there in a way yes because at least we have uh, gender equality act here, non-discrimination act kind of thing, and it's protected by law and it's kind of enforced, but there are always people who don't follow the laws and there are people who are attacking trans people, especially here that is making our livelihood hell for the past two or three years, even more than that. I do feel safer, but I've been subjected to harassment, physical abuse by people who are, have nothing to do to, uh, with, like random people on the streets. Um, so in that way, I don't feel safe, but not any more than feeling unsafe from the kind of political unrest against, from the... <laughs> from the radical feminist exclusionary terms against mm. trans, trans people so that is much more dangerous for me mm. and it's a more psychological philosophical and I feel unsafe in that sense mm. <laughs> yeah like I escape one hellhole to jump into another hellhole like What's the fucking point? <laughs> so this is why I, I'm chasing any opportunity I have to get out of this country, which is why I jump into a relationship with this guy very quickly. <laughs> and try to like, try to like uh, make it work. And he seems uh, receptive of it. So I have this dream to escape it. Uh do you ever get like nervous or anxious if you meet a Malaysian you don't know and you're not sure like what their politics or vibes like? Yeah, definitely. Like there's always that feeling. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I just like can't be bothered and I just like ignore rather than feel like, ah, oh, another Malaysian, so excited, blah, blah, blah. And I was <laughs> like, just walk past try not to talk any kind any Malay so that they wouldn't recognize you. Sometimes it happens, but like I'm talking to like my other queer Malays or mm -hmm. on the phone with like other trans people in, in London and talking Malay like cuckoo kaka. <laughs> having that thinking like are they gonna be okay with me? Are they not gonna be okay with me? Are they gonna be like ah 
good for you, blah, 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 kind of like passive aggressive pushing you away. Mm-hmm. So I would rather not have to deal with that. Are there, yeah, it's are, kind of the same. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. Keep I was going. going on a tangent about being trans. Like, we, so this, this whole this political movement against trans people also have that effect on me, especially mm-hmm. in women's spaces, right? So whenever I'm outside and I'm about to encounter a cis woman, especially white cis woman, I mean, always has this kind of, again, the thinking that are they going to be okay with me? Because, oh, this is like the effect of the political situation against trans people. And it's mm. affecting me a lot. So it's very unhealthy because it prevents me from being my true self and just having a good quality of like social interaction or something so that's kind of like similar analogy but in different situations why do you think the turf movement is so big there is it just jk rowling <laughs> i don't know like jk rowling is not even the beginning of it she makes it worse it's yeah. abating it she just she should stick to writing his mm, book no <laughs> don't come out of that to be like this political icon or whatever. Yeah, she definitely exacerbates it, like tremendously, and people follows her views and whatever just because like she's the richest woman here. Yeah, I think there was some fears, also like some, a lot of fear monitoring as well. Like mm-hmm. there's no statistics against all these claims that trans woman is pretended by a man in the bathroom there's no such a thing it's just mm. they even admitted that was just a hoax people who make that and now mm. it's just again they are putting oil on fire um, so I don't know where it started but I can tell you there was this case in 2008 or 2010 that is when uh, an actual British person who are trans fled to claim asylum in New Zealand or Australia because of transphobia in the UK. So that was like before the 2010s, uh, mm. to that decade. So it's very telling that it is a long kind of history of transphobia since back then. Mm. So it's hard to say. Are there things about where you are that you wish we had in Malaysia? <laughs> Where do I start? <laughs> For one, uh, the policy and the laws and the freedom of speech, freedom of religion. Malaysia mm-hmm. claims that they have freedom of religion, but it is controversial. Like, they keep teaching people at school, like, you cannot take Islam for granted if you get mm. out of Islam if you become an apostate or whatever I don't think that's a good thing to teach kids at school so we don't have that here so I, and all this like general assignment stuff which was taken away from us in Malaysia mm. and the name changing that is made difficult but I would go as far to say the Islamization should not have happened <laughs> yeah. I think that's right. the beginning of the downfall yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. Did you manage to change your gender markers and all there? Oh, yeah. I was quite lucky. And it's actually not that difficult. And I mm. think people on the asylum path had it easy. Like, if you're lawyers, contact the homophiles. And you, if you're claiming your asylum on the grounds of being trans, 
then mm. if you granted that person being trans, so you should acknowledge their gender as trans or female or male. Because if you don't, that's kind of contradictory. So mm. silent path is quite easy, but on the outside of it, kind of was challenging because you have to pay a lot of money. You have to go to these uh, boards of members to like validate your transness by your previous two years history. So it's kind of like very nitpicky down to the nitty gritty, just like unnecessary. But now we're, they're fighting against that and the mm. fees are reduced, but still, it's still consultation after consultation because all these turfs keep saying, oh no, we can't do this. Oh no, we can't do this. It's just like not an ending circle, cycle. Do you need like a doctor's letter or something like that? Uh, for me, no, because I think it's quite straightforward within mm. the asylum system. But out of it, out of it, yes, if you're starting to do that by yourself. And if you want to change your name, you can just use the deep poll. That's easy. The gender marker is official kind of thing. So how did it feel to have, get your gender marker changed? How did that feel? Affirming, fucking affirming. Like, <laughs> I have this, that bit of gender euphoria, you know? Yeah, so whenever I look at my gender markers, M, even like looking at my old passports from Malaysia that is invalid now, and it's M, it's just like, give me this feel. Or, oh, stay away from me. I don't want to see that. It's triggering. So mm-hmm. having that gender marker change was quite affirming and it's, it's really big for me. And I'm glad that it made, it was made easier for my lawyers and the asylum system because people outside of it doesn't have it easy. But yeah, sometimes I look at it and see the app and I feel like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Other things about Malaysia that you wish you had there besides food? The culture, like the rebirth of the Malay culture pre pre the 80s, the 70s, like back then, the freedom of like people just celebrating without having these requirements to wear scarf or to mm. cover their bodies, like cannot wear loose, cannot wear tight fitting clothes. Like it is quite oppressive, but I understand this argument about if you choose to do that, it's fine. But a lot of people doesn't get that sentiment in Malaysia, I don't think. Yeah, it's a shame. And all this, a lot of things that happened after Islamization, a lot of our cultural things was basically eradicated, right? They say, oh, this thing cannot be sustained because it doesn't align with the Islamic principles, bullshit. And the thing is, Malaysia doesn't, Malay, the Malaysian country doesn't appreciate this kind of cultures so much as the UK. I don't think, in my community at least, <clears throat> and I know there are other places in Malaysia quite take that quite seriously, but not everywhere. So maybe it's just from my experience. Yeah, the culture and the community and the bringing food, the power to other people's houses. And if we were to return it, it has to be filled as well. No <laughs> empty. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my mom taught me. <laughs> So how big is your Malaysian identity a part of you there? Uh, I'm ashamed to say not so big anymore. Mm. But 
because I was so focusing on setting my roots and just assimilate myself with the London life and whatever culture it is, especially in East London where it's like a lot of party culture and everything, mm-hmm. queers. So that made me detach myself from Malaysian kind of identity and values because I have a, at this time, I really hate Malaysia, but now over the past month or year, I start to like kind of scratch from the ground to get some part of kind of community because I miss that, especially mm-hmm. with lockdown. So it's made right. worse as well because you cannot do all those community stuff. Yeah, but right now I want to get in touch with my identity again. Like I've been reading a lot about all these um, mythologies in mm. Malaysian, Malay folklores. How about your like racial identity? Has that relationship changed since you moved? Yeah. Almost everybody that asks me, what's your background? I say, unfortunately, Malay. <laughs> <laughs> so that, to simply put, telling how I feel about it. But if we were living in a different decade, previous from the 80s or the 70s, I would say, yeah, I'm fucking Malay. Yeah, I'm proud. Mm. But not anymore. Not anymore. That's the saddest part of it. Because they did so much damage to us mm. in the community when I discovered more stories about what they did to like this Baitumal camp kind of like mm. what was it called Mukayam. juvenile Mukayam mm. to trust people like that came here after me and then they told me all these stories about so I know this trans woman that has done her gender Simon surgery changed her name in the 80s in the mm. 90s somewhere along that line but over the past decade like before the 2020s uh, she got taken into the conversion camp I will use that term because it is basically what it is but Mm -hmm. conversion camp in a more general sense like gay trans juveniles because they took they took her boobs out and they're kind of like in dark indoctrinate her into becoming a Muslim because she's Indian she's Hindu mm. uh, and now she is a Muslim but yeah she is very a proud Muslim she likes the teachings but not so much of what they've done to her because so much hurt and mm. they even changed her name back to a male name and a gender marker as well so after hearing all these stories it just made me even hate being part of my identity as a Malay and with all the news back home as well, with Sajjad controversy, with those canings, with all these killings. Side note. Sajjad is a successful businesswoman in Malaysia. She doesn't self-identify as a trans woman, but that is the perception of her because the state has repeatedly doxed her, releasing her identity card and other legal documents to quote-unquote prove that she's a man. After years of harassment, she is currently on the run because multiple state agencies are after her, wanting to charge her for quote-unquote insulting Islam by wearing a baju kurung at a charity event. The canings Alana mentioned refer to 2018 when the past-led state of Trunganu, probably as a show of power after the 2018 general elections, 
decided to publicly cane two lesbians for attempt of musahaka. Musahaka being the Sharia law that criminalizes lesbian acts. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of feel ashamed of that. Yeah. Do you keep up with the news back home a lot? Not anymore. Uh, only with the trans news, uh, activism news, justice for sisters news, seed news, only that news on my community. Not so much about the political stuff. Preserving, self-preservation. But the community news also is usually not the best news. Yeah. How does that? How does that make you feel being, you know, in London and kind of reading all this stuff? The first thing that came to mind is good because I will have a stronger case when my <laughs> asylum status ends, so that I can prove Malaysia is still shit like five years ago and now. <laughs> <laughs> but. Other parts of me feel sad for the people that have to put up with it and those people who doesn't have a privilege to live because there's so many kind of like advice pointing towards if you don't like Malaysia, leave, right? Mm. Mm. Even some of the ministers said that before, like LGBT, LGBT people doesn't have a place in Malaysia and stuff. Uh, so it must be hard for people in Malaysia who kind of felt like that was directed to them. Yeah, I feel sorry. I feel bad. But also acknowledging my privilege, really. Mm. What are you doing in London now? <laughs> Nothing at the moment. <laughs> um, I am a programmer. I work for an investment management company as a, as a coder. Mm. It's actually a FTSE, even FTSE 20 company for the past two years but I've taken a sabbatical since January mm -hmm. because I had a men mental breakdown <laughs> I actually went to the psych ward I was detained and sectioned under the mental health act because lockdown and mental health issues everything just seemed overwhelming yeah. so I've not been at work since January every month I call my GP and say hey I'm not ready to go to work give me another another month of sick leave and it's been going on every month <laughs> but it's my recovery I've been going to therapy and support groups and being on antidepressants mood stabilizers and everything but I'm still recovering right now I'm thinking of quitting the job before I move to Australia so I don't want to work under the capitalist conglomerate anymore <laughs> so many conflicting me. things <laughs> I know. <laughs> this is, that's why it's so overwhelming, you know? Like, mm. anywhere I think there's so many connections mm. and it's so fucked up mm. that how do I reconcile that? Like, again, on a global scale, on the roof metaphor, metaphor, like, I don't even feel safe to live in this fucking world. And there's only one way to do if you, if I feel like that. Or if it's not that, it has to be just fuck it. Fuck everything else and just subject yourself to hedonism lifestyle and just <laughs> go off. <laughs> I think that's good. <laughs> yeah, I became jaded pretty much. How's the access to like mental health services for you? 
Uh, again, privileged resources, um, quite easy for me because I have private insurance from the company and I can access it quite quickly and they cover it. But I'm also on the NHS mental health services as well. I had the therapies from NHS support group that they asked me to go with the suicidal, substance abuse, <laughs> sex and love. It's quite very, it's quite a lot. So I felt supported because it, or not only when after I, my scream of help is finally mm. being heard because mm. that's to the, at the point when I was so overwhelmed and then they finally heard me and then they think this is a, <laughs> a risk. So they, well, they finally want to hear me. So it's just crazy because they only listen to you at the most extreme time. Mm. Apart from that, they just like tell you off. But yeah, I would say all, all in all, it's quite good. Mm. And I felt lucky and privileged to have access to this. How is it in Malaysia? I don't think mental health is like even discussed I mean, about. It's getting, it's getting a lot better, I think. Uh, there's like a lot of new mental health places coming Ooh. up like therapy and stuff and a, and a few of them are quite queer friendly also now so yeah like my therapist is queer and nice yeah so are they like under public health or private no private law so i mean yeah, yeah <laughs> you have to pay lah. yeah that's the thing actually i went to a private therapist as well before i left because I need some clarity and there's this uh, hospital in Penang. Don't know what it's called, Labwa E or something. Mm. And I have to pay for it. And she taught me, I tell I told her about what my plans are because I was scared, kind of thing, confused, nervous. Yeah, private ter- private is better, but a lot of people can't afford it, right? Mm. I mean if you're going like yeah. once every month or once every two weeks and it starts to add up. <laughs> yeah. And it's free if you are public and here is like NHS. Mm. Mm. So I have like 20 sessions every week. I have not paid anything, which is like quite awesome. Yeah. <laughs> how how um out were you before you left? Like had you started your transition already? Yes. Actually it was quite new and recent. So I left in October. I started transitioning in July. So I guess because of this, that change makes me feel like I can't be here anymore. I kept thinking like there's this cross-dressing law if you left your house with mm. the closing that doesn't identify your gender is going to get caught for a fine. So I don't, that's, I think, I don't know. Maybe it's the effect of hormones or just a shifting perspective. Do you think you'll ever move back to Malaysia? No. No. Not in a million years. I don't think. I would be sick, but I would never stay there anymore. I don't know. I'm not like you or Newman who like, oh my god, I need to stay. I need to fight for my country. <laughs> no, not for me. How is um how's dating like over there? Girl. You're opening a Pandora box, <laughs> like. I can only speak from my experience, and mm. 
because I'm also a sex worker, so it's kind of weird, kind of plain to Travers, because mm. I often confuse this uh, between lust and love. Mm. <laughs> Done that mistakes a lot. I fell for my clients a lot. And I jump into the relationship quickly. But the 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 the, <laughs> the shift was when I was not transitioning, I'm identified as a gay person and I have access to gay men, but now I have access to straight men, which is a mm. whole new species and breed, and I don't fucking know how to like deal with that. <laughs> so it's been like a steep learning curve. <laughs> But in a way, it's a good way because I learned from men that is like in that kind of world where hunters, where they access sex workers and mm. also men that are dating. But mostly men who objectify trans women, which is pretty normal because they watch a lot of trans porn, which is not a good representation. For my experience, and now I do, I have bipolar and borderline and that itself it explains why I have so many relationship issues. I'm very impulsive, erratic, and fickle-minded. I can go from highs to lows in a like instant. Uh, we were fighting with my I was fighting with my boyfriend last week. So crying, and I was packing my stuff to leave. And then he came for the second time to convince me. And then after that, all fun and dandy, just like okay, fine. So weird. So it's been a, a, I don't know, steep learning curve and I'm still figuring things out. Uh, but it's been interesting. Do you feel safe doing sex work there? <laughs> no, because of the Swedish model here and a lot mm. of guys are afraid. Side note. The Swedish model regarding sex work refers to the criminalizing of the clients who procure the services of sex workers. The idea behind this model is that sex work is inherently violence against women and that criminalizing the demand would eliminate sex work altogether. Sex worker activists argue that this model silences and invalidates the agency of sex workers and presumes that all sex workers are disempowered cisgender women whose clients are men ignoring the diverse genders, sexualities, and experiences of sex workers and clients. Activists argue that sex work should be decriminalized completely and have access to the same labor rights as other workers, including having proper mechanisms that allow sex workers to be able to report abuse and violence and ensuring that they have access to justice. Yeah, but also like situations where you meet dodgy guys. I've been in a situation where I got picked up and he was so drunk and he was driving and really fast, really dangerously and stopping by the street and he went out to take a piss. It was just scary and it was like 12 midnight. But also it teach me, it teach me some stuff as well. So mm. I think I have more positive experience than scary because you have to have a good judge of character and mm a really good vetting system and I think I do have that and some of the girls that I talk to they don't mm. so they have much more uh, hostile situation with their clients and yeah I'm I'm not as scared because I trust in myself in my judgment right and those clients actually help me with my uni and help me when I need money 
even without sex and they give me advice and I still hold on to that until today so yeah I see the light of it <laughs> um, it's good are you yeah. still you know, you finished your uni already right? yes I did I finished last year I submitted my purple my thesis in October and by December I got my results and I passed Woo-hoo. So I'm a master's holder, but that certificate is going to the bin because I'm not going to work in that industry <laughs> anymore. <laughs> so it's just a, it's just a certificate. I don't really care about. <laughs> what was it? What was it on? <clears throat> it was on uh, information systems and management, and I'm more focused on management. Even though I came from a computing stream, because I want to be more in the managerial role in the future, but. Now I just can't be bored. Now I just like fuck it. Yeah, but it's like I like learning. I have a lust for learning, and mm. I will do whatever just to learn for the sake of learning. So I don't regret it, but it's not going to be used for any kind of financial gain or career. But mm. I think just the knowledge, this knowledge is good. Do you still keep in touch with all the trans folks here? Not all. This is ones that I'm close with in Penang. Yeah, I do still keep in contact with them. Because I need that lingo. I need that <laughs> cultural lingo within the community. Like, I feel like that's important. <laughs> that's really important. I miss that. Sometimes I yeah. call my friends who are from Malaysia and in London like, I miss to go Mamontan with you. <laughs> <laughs> and I call it in Malay and English like faggoting around. And my friends just love it. They use faggoting around. Let's go to Soho. Let's faggoting around. <laughs> yeah. I love that actually. Mamontan. <laughs> <laughs> well, have you never heard of that? <laughs> no, I have never heard it used I like that. I think it's very... <laughs> I think it's very like Penang lingo. Because right, I'm from right. Penang, it's just like great. I love it. <laughs> you don't uh, yeah. keep in touch with your mom, Sumakan? Um, I still did, but they're very at a bare minimum. And yeah, I we had a breakthrough recently where my mom called me Alana for the first time just because she needed money and desperate. And I was like, what's my name and after a while she said yes so are you going to give me the money or what <laughs> i was like okay i'll be the bigger person here that would be out my closure i'll give her the money because it's the right thing to do it's for her operation but we don't have that kind of um, relationship anymore how is your um relationship with religion if you don't mind me asking i don't have that kind of relationship anymore since 2016-17 because I was just finished from the UK and I stopped going to the malls right? I was quite religious since I was 16 to 22 pray five times a day but when I was in the UK to my studies I don't want to feel like missing out because you have to go to the malls and pray every time five times a day and my friends are going to this and that and I I feel like I'm missing out. So gradually I stopped and stopped fasting as well. 
So I detached myself from it even when I came here. But over the past six months when I've been off work, I've been reading a lot. I feel like I need to get in touch with that again, with my Islamic Muslim identity. Because like I felt like my permissiveness makes me I don't have like disciplines or no kind of restriction because I think I came to realize religion is kind of like a safe space for you to have disciplines and structure and meditative quality. And I'm starting to realize that, but without all the bullshit. And yeah, I kind of want to get back into it, but maybe not Islam. I've been reading a lot about Buddhism. So, and there's a lot of meditation techniques for Buddhism. So I might identify myself as a Buddhist because I have a lot of boots on that. Still on a journey, <laughs> lah. Yes, yeah, still on a journey. Ah, uh, okay. Last couple of questions. Um, <clears throat> what do you wish for the Malaysian LGBT community? Um, <clears throat> I have to think about this. Mm, I wish they are fully, not fully. I don't think that can be fully acknowledged. I mean, acknowledging is good, but not fully accepted or to, like tolerated even. That is at the most lowest level to be. I think toler- acknowledged is lowest and then tolerated and acceptance. I'm just making this hierarchy up. Um, <laughs> and also like they, after that, it will be, they will be able to live in harmonious situation with Others, other community, the mainstream community, society, um, and they have freedom of expression as well. Like not being shunned, just when you present things in a certain way, especially gender fluidity, or embracing each other, like your partners, same sex partners. Yeah, I wish there can get to that point but I don't think it will happen in the next few decades maybe another century no our lifetime lah at least our lifetime (laughs) (laughs) whoa yeah I don't know okay Uh, last one are there any sounds that remind you of home and remind you of Malaysia sound Mm. hmm Rain, heavy rain. Oh like my the thunderstorms. God. Yeah, we had thunderstorm a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, I was with my boyfriend. And I heard thunder. I was like, Oh my god! <laughs> I was so fucking excited. And all these downpours that's been happening the past couple of days. It's so calming. I could fall asleep in the in the thunderstorm. It is so calming. Okay. Well, thank you so much. This was awesome. Thank you to you. I feel privileged to talk to you. Yeah, it's been a really good chat. (laughs) Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the first episode of Queer Not Here. If you'd like to give me feedback or want to know more about any of the topics mentioned in this episode, do write to me at queernothere at gmail.com or hit me up on IG at queernothere. See you on the next episode.